Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, uh, just a quick word, by the way, we are at Monument Academy. Monument is a, uh, a school that um, is a charter school that was established a few years ago uh, specifically to service uh, and to educate children who are in the foster care system or who are in danger of entering the foster care system. So we've done a good bit with um, Monument over the years and volunteered. And so um, DCPS is, is closed over uh, these uh, next two Sundays. So they opened their this space to us. So we're really grateful uh, to them. Thank you for, for coming out. I gotta say, it's, it's actually quite a remarkable uh, Sunday for us to gather here on Christmas Eve. Um, in anticipation of sort of the, a holy night, a, a sacred night in which we remember when God clothed himself in humanity and in so doing he ushered in the first uh, uh, fruits of his kingdom. When all of the things uh, that uh, uh, he would set right and heal and make right, that the, the entrance of that was on Christmas Day. It was when he was uh, born. And so it's actually sweet and quite right for us to gather this uh, morning for the purpose of celebrating the birth of our king. So I'm delighted that you guys are here. We've got the kids here uh, to, to, uh, to join in with us. And so really just want to remember again the story of Jesus' first birth. Um, this morning, uh, in keeping with um, the Advent practices passed down for generations and also those Advent practices shared across the globe, we uh, lit the fourth Advent uh, wreath, the Advent candle, the peace candle. As we've mentioned in previous weeks, this season of Advent is a season that leads up to Christmas, or Christ's Mass, when the church remembers and celebrates the birthday of Jesus in a manger in a small town in Bethlehem, 25 miles outside of Jerusalem. At Christ City, we began our Advent season by first lighting the Hope Candle, the week, uh, that week, we looked to consider how Christ's birth brings us hope, even in the midst of doubt and disappointment. And then in the second week, we lit the joy candle. We sang the old Isaac Watts hymn, Joy to the World, the Lord Has Come. And we explored how it is that joy can be experienced, can be shared, can be enjoyed, can be sustained, even in the days of sorrow and frustration. How was that possible? Because of Jesus' life, death, and ultimately his resurrection, through which God went about dismantling all the things that would steal joy. And so because of that, we can sing joy to the world. Last week, the love candle was lit as we looked at how Christ and the shepherds displayed uh, love in the Christmas story, about how they showed what they showed was often done in obscurity, and it was often done with great sacrifice, but yet it dripped with purpose and power. And so this week, we light the peace candle. When we talk about peace, there's actually, um, uh, I suspect, some common images that come to mind. Some of you guys, anybody serve in the Peace Corps here? Anybody? A few folks? Somebody? Nope, nobody. Well, oh, one person. Sarah gets the gold star. Everybody, uh, congratulations. Some of you, uh, you know, we think of the Peace Corps, uh, other things that may uh, come up. You may think of peace movements or peaceful protests, especially those in the 60s, and then some of which that have taken place more recently. Um, you may think of uh, kiddos. Do you guys know what this, uh, kids in the back, do you guys know what this symbol means? If you do that, anybody? What you got? Peace, yeah, deuces. Yeah, either one, that'll work. Perfect. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, you know, sort of a, a common a global phenomenon that you put up two, two fingers. It, it's sort of an image of peace. There you go. I see that. Excellent. 
Um, in the Bible, though, peace is actually quite a, a complex and an exhaustive concept. In the Old Testament, the word that is used for peace is the Hebrew word shalom. And in the New Testament, which is written in Greek, the word is irene. Throughout the Bible, these words are used to communicate a thoroughgoing sense of rightness or of, or of wholeness or of completeness. They're used to capture the substance of meaning that things are just exactly as they're supposed to be. That when, when the word is used of peace, it's not just sort of an absence of something, but it's actually a sense that all things are set exactly the way that they're supposed to be. So I, I don't know how it is uh, for you guys, but at some point later on tonight, there's going to be a flurry of activity at my house. We're going to be wrapping presents. We've got a big feast planned. Like there's just going to be just, just chaos. Like kids are running around at my family's here. There's going to be, I think, 37,000 people at my house and like a dozen dogs and some neighbors. Like it's just going to be a lot of people. And, but at some point, everyone's going to leave. At some point, the kids are going to go to bed. They're going to, it's going to be tough for them because, you know, the next day presents and everything. But at some point, they're going to go to bed and I'm going to sit down. I've got a red chair. You guys know some of you have been to my house. I've got a red chair. I'm going to sit in that chair. The light of the tree is going to be on. I'm going to have some eggnog just eggnog with me and uh and it's and it's going to be it's it's actually it is going to be it's going to be still it's going to be quiet i'm going to see sort of a tree growing out of a fertilizer of of presents the stockings we don't have a chimney but it's going to be like on the banister and it's just going to be quiet and it's going to be still shalom things are going to be just exactly the way that they're supposed to be for some of you, maybe that's not actually your image of shalom. You're going to be at the table and like the chaos of the table, of the dinner table on Christmas Day. Like, like you're going to see all the folks that you haven't seen in quite some time. You're going to be eating some amazing food. It's going to be good. It's going to stick to your ribs. You're going to, you know, pass the, you know, sweet potatoes or mac and cheese or whatever it is that you've got. The, you know, the, the thing that is for you Christmas. And you're just going to see people and there's going to be laughter and there's going to be just loud talking and it won't be quiet. It will be loud. Loud, and that for you will be shalom. Things just as they're supposed to be. And in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, whenever it talks about peace, that's what it means. A sense of completeness and of, and of wholeness and of rightness. That whatever was broken, whatever was wounded, or whatever needs mending, or whatever isn't quite right, that shalom has come. That things are just as they are meant to be. In the scriptures, whenever anything is harmed or broken or out of place or lost, the Bible describes that as to say that shalom has actually been broken or shalom has been lost. And to make shalom or to make peace is to make things right, to make things the way that they're intended to be. In an agrarian community into which much of the Bible was written, uh, whenever in the scriptures, whenever an animal or a child would destroy the crops of a neighbor, it would say that shalom has been broken. And so what, is, what needs to happen in that point is that one would make shalom by, by fixing the things that were broken or restoring the things that were lost, bringing them to completeness. Peace or shalom, it's, it's a holistic concept. Peace isn't only the absence of war or violence. It isn't just the absence of discord between people, though that's a major part of it. It's actually deeper and broader than that. Shalom is also aimed at completeness, 
within a person, within the, within the heart and mind and soul of a person, because there are times, are there not, when a person is actually at war with themselves. They're living in a manner contrary to what they're meant or built for. And that's shalom-breaking as well. Peace is actually meant to be um, reflected in the way that humanity lived in the wider world as well. Shalom is broken when people live in a way that harms God's creation. When we just run roughshod over the environment and simply take from the land without regard to our impact on the world that God gave us to steward, well, that's an instance of shalom breaking too. But the chief place where shalom is meant to be established and kept and restored when lost is between humanity and God. That right relationship that was initiated in the garden and lost in the fall is a story of God's reestablishment of peace and humanity's dismantling of it and Christ's restoring of it. When understood in this holistic way, shalom between people, shalom within people, shalom between humanity and creation, and ultimately shalom between humanity and God and his children, well, we get a, a sense of the richness and the depth of what the prophet Isaiah was longing for when he wrote in Isaiah 9, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Shalom, Prince of Peace, and of the greatness of his government and Shalom, there will be no end. You see, what Isaiah was anticipating is the realization that Shalom isn't actually made by us, but it's made by God. Peace isn't kept by us, but by God. God is the one who would ultimately work to restore, to heal, to make complete all the things that happened when peace is established. And he would do that through the one who would be born in a manger, 25 miles outside of Jerusalem. Because the thing is, peace is it's actually a person. And that person is Christ. He is the one who would make it possible for shalom to be established between people and within a person and between humanity and creation and ultimately between humanity and God. The Apostle St. Paul, he would write in Ephesians, for he himself, speaking of Christ, for he himself is our shalom. Jesus is our shalom who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Paul would also write later in Colossians, For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, dwell in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making shalom, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In Christmas, we remember that peace is a person, Jesus. And peace is actually ushered in through that person. And so this Christmas, if wherever it is that you find yourself spiritually or emotionally or even physically for that matter, this Christmas, if you find yourself in a land that seems utterly void of peace, shalom seems far off, if not altogether even a fantasy, then what Advent reminds us is that Jesus, our, our Prince of Peace, our Prince of Shalom, is the one who ushers in shalom. And he does so by his presence with us. 
He is the shepherd that is with us through the valley of the shadow of death. He is the one who will never leave us or forsake us. He is the one who is with us always, even to the end of the age. He is the one who grants us shalom that passes all understanding. He is the one who uh, is with us and will heal us and will bring us into peace. The peace is available to us because of Emmanuel, because God is with us. Peace is a person, and this Christmas and every Christmas and every day in between Christmas, Christ is our peace, and Christ is with us, and that is the gospel of Christmas. So, now that we know what peace is, shalom, irene, wholeness, the question is, which we've been asking uh, over these last few weeks, how do we keep vigil over it? That's been our theme, keeping vigil. How do we watch over peace? So in the next few minutes, I'm, I want to get real practical. I'm going to build out on uh, some of the aspects that Matthew mentioned. Uh, peace uh, in oneself or peace with oneself. Peace between us and others. And of course, peace between us and God. So self, others, and God. So we'll start uh, with peace in ourselves. And the reason I want to get practical is that Christmas isn't just a theoretical uh, thing we celebrate every year. It's, it's intensely practical. It has very much to say to the way that we live our lives. So, peace in ourselves. <clears throat> I want to suggest today that the shalom, the wholeness in me, is shattered when I view myself contrary to, or less than, or less clear, or less whole, or less known, or less loved than how God views me. The shalom in myself is shattered when I view myself as less than how God views me. I lose shalom or peace in myself when I lose sight of or I lose track of who I really am, of my identity, forgetting that I am an image bearer of God, fearfully and wonderfully made. From dust, yes, but God can do all sorts of wonderful things with dust. The problem, though, is that so many of us walk through life neglecting our own souls. The pace at which we live, it doesn't lend itself to shalomful living. It's far easier to do something, ideally something productive, but you know, if not, at least something distracting. And so we fail to identify how far we've strayed from our identity. In the words of Archbishop Desmond Tutu, though, to find the path to peace, you will have to meet your pain and speak its name. To find the path to peace, you will have to meet your pain and speak its name. That is, in order to get shalom in yourself, you will have to sit with what's going on inside of you. The longing, the despair, the sadness, the anger, the things you're trying to avoid, the things you're not even aware of because you're running away from yourself. We don't like to talk about those things. We don't like to think about those things. But I think that maybe if we sit still for just a moment, if we sat still for just a moment, we might find that God was waiting there all along, waiting for us. And so a spiritual practice here is to remind yourself of who you are. Remind yourself of who you are. Try this. Every day this week, just for this week, every day, carve out five minutes of your day. Just five minutes. You can set a timer if you want. Five minutes to sit, to not do, to not check your phone, to not be looking at a screen. And I want you to meditate on or to recite 
these words, which you may have heard me refer to before. It's quite simple. I am one in whom God dwells and delights. And I, along with others, live in the unshakable kingdom of God. Would you say that with me? I am one in whom God dwells and delights. And I, along with others, live in the unshakable kingdom of God. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Allow God to put together the shalom in your life. What about keeping vigil over peace with others? Well, if peace isn't just the absence of conflict, but the presence of right relationship, then we seek shalom with others not by avoiding conflict, but by seeking a good and healthy and right relationship. The Apostle Paul wrote, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And what if living at peace isn't just, you know, siloing off or sticking with those who like us or are like us, saying, you know, forget you to anyone we'd rather not have to deal with, but rather, as far as it depends on us, seeking to cultivate a wholeness of interrelationship. For as Dr. Martin Luther King said, we are tied together in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. And so one spiritual practice here as it relates to keeping vigil over peace with one another is this. Forgive. Forgive. Forgiveness is what we're commanded to do by Jesus. He said, as you forgive, so also shall your sins be forgiven. Think about that for a moment. As you forgive, so shall your sins be forgiven. Forgiveness is also the example that Jesus set for us. And in that we see it's part of God's character. Part of what it means for God to love us is that God forgives. Let me uh, refer to Desmond Tutu again. As many of you know, Tutu was one of the spiritual leaders of the resistance in apartheid-era South Africa. Black people in South Africa suffered tremendously for years under the system of oppression and marginalization. And yet when the tables eventually did turn and apartheid was ended, Tutu led the effort to build a better, more whole South Africa. And that took the form not of retribution, not of vengeance against those who had victimized them, but rather what became known as the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. It was a body that sought restorative justice. It actually invited perpetrators to confess their crimes. And it actually invited those who had been wronged to forgive. In words that echo Dr. King's Tutu explains exactly why, he says, our humanity is bound up in one another. And any tear in the fabric of connection between us must be repaired for us all to be made whole. This interconnectedness is the very root of who we are. To walk the path of forgiveness is to recognize that your crimes harm you as they harm me. To walk the path of forgiveness is to recognize that my dignity is bound up in your dignity. And every wrongdoing hurts us all. In a book called The Book of Forgiving, Desmond Tutu names four steps on the path of forgiveness. I'm going to run through them real quick. See, sometimes it's tempting to think that forgiveness for us is just, just someone saying, well, I forgive you. But in reality, and especially when the wound is deep, forgiveness is more of a process. The first step is to tell the story. To tell the story. To share the facts. To break the silence. To talk to someone about what happened. Now, sometimes that will be the person who hurt you. 
But sometimes that option may not be the most healthy or the most safe. Step one is to share with someone who will hear you and listen to you and empathize with you as you begin to reconstruct the narrative. Second step is to name the hurt. To name the hurt, to share the feelings behind the facts. Again, with, with someone who will have your back and, if appropriate, with the one who hurt you. Share, uh, name the hurt. It's about identifying what was lost. Maybe it's trust or innocence or faith or a dream or an opportunity. Step three is to grant forgiveness. As I said a moment ago, oftentimes we think that this is it. This is just step three is all there is to forgiveness. But granting forgiveness is doing so on the basis that we recognize the image of God in the other person, even the person who harmed us. And we learn to tell a new story. We learn to tell how God is bringing life out of death. And we don't have to, that doesn't mean we have to celebrate harm. It doesn't mean we have to celebrate hurt. But if our God is the God who is working all things for the good of those who love him, and beauty is always being made out of the ashes. And then finally, step four, we choose whether to renew or to release the relationship. To renew or release the relationship. Forgiveness doesn't mean everything goes back to the way things were before. That would be an awful waste of pain. Instead, forgiveness done right means that we get to step forward into a future unfettered by the past either because the relationship has been strengthened by humility and confession and truth, or because you have chosen to no longer let yourself and your emotions, your thoughts, your dreams be dominated by a person or an experience. Whether you choose to renew or in some cases release the relationship, forgiveness, it's just one way we can seek shalom with one another. Whether that's in our friendships, in our relationships, in our marriages, even in our workplaces. And that's shalom in a more interpersonal form. But I should also mention that shalom is societal, right? This is the time of year when we traditionally might hear the Magnificat, Mary's song. When the mother of Jesus sang of God scattering the proud and bringing down mighty rulers, but lifting up the humble and lowly, turning the rich away empty, but filling the hungry with good things. The church has always been called to follow the example of our Lord by caring for those in need for the vulnerable and the marginalized. In our day, we might think of the growing poor, or the immigrant and the refugee, or our homeless neighbors, or those without adequate health care. What would a society of shalom, a society of wholeness, look like? What would it look like for us, as individuals and as the church, to seek the shalom, the wholeness of our city, the wholeness of our world? Something to ponder. I don't have time to talk about shalom in creation today. The world God declared was good. The world God called us to steward. So let me just pose the question. What would it look like for us to live in such a way that the world given into our care flourished? What would that look like? How would that change our habits? How could we live lives that were more sustainable for our surroundings? Ultimately, though, as Matthew said, peace, all peace, starts with the peace of God, the shalom of God, the rightness and the wholeness and the completeness of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How we make peace with creation and how we make peace with one another and even how we make peace in ourselves is all tied to how God makes peace with us. None of the parts are dispensable in the Christian life. They're all interlinked. 
But the energy comes from God. The peace comes from the Holy Spirit. When the baby Jesus became a man, he said things like, My peace I leave you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. He said, I have told you these things so that in me, in me, you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is how uh, Eugene Peterson differentiates between the peace of God and the peace we often grasp for. He says, I tried to get peace by getting rid of what irritates me. God gets peace by restoring everything to health. I try to get peace by getting rid of what I don't like. God gets peace by loving the unruly and the unlovely into a life-changing salvation. I try to get peace by saying, shut up, I don't want to hear it anymore. God gets peace by saying, be still and know that I am God. In Isaiah 9, it says that the one who will be born is called Prince of Shalom. But what does it say right before that? For a child has been born for us. A son given to us. Christmas baby full of gifts, but at its heart it's about the greatest gift. It's about the gift of God to humanity. The gift of God himself in the person of Jesus. The one who came to make us whole and to make all things new. The one who came to bring a peace that is not passive-aggressive conflict avoidance, but shalom. A reigning, bursting to the brim and overflowing with life and joy. That's Emmanuel, God with, with us. Friends, God is still with us today. As real today as he was with the shepherds and the angels and Joseph and Mary that day 2,000 years ago. Even better, God dwells in us if we ask him to by the power of the Spirit. God lives in us. God lives in us. And so, maybe a spiritual practice here would be to ask yourself. Start with a couple times a day. And again, you can set reminders on your phone. You can slowly build this habit. Just a couple times a day. What is God saying to me right now? And what is God asking of me right now? For hundreds of years, Christians have maintained what's called the daily office. Several times a day, pausing in their work or in their play to remember the presence of God. And to remember their purpose in God's presence. So just a couple times a day, just pause and ask yourself, what's God saying to me right now? What's God asking of me right now? Let us become more aware of God's presence. Let us live in wondrous, awe-filled response to the gift of Jesus Christ. And as we commit and recommit ourselves to the work of keeping vigil keeping watch over hope and peace and joy and love, not just this Christmas season, but in our lives and in our world, in the world that God has called us to shine light to. I'm going to close by lighting the Christ candle in the Advent wreath with these words. We light the Christ candle in celebration of Jesus, Messiah, Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, Prince of Peace, born to us, given to us, so that we might know God, so that we might know love and hope and joy and peace. Lord Jesus Christ, 
may you be born in us today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.